Wow, so 140,000 of you watched my previous video on this subject for 28,000 hours. Welcome back to the channel, I am the Black Belt Barrister helping you to understand law. This is the very much requested follow-up video to the I almost got scammed by the solar salesman video which I will link in the description below just in case you haven't seen that one yet. You might want to go and watch that one first for context or I don't mind if you watch this one first and then go and watch that and then come back and watch this so that you've got them all in line. So before we get into all of the detail that's going to go into this video this video might actually break into a third or even a fourth video on this very subject because it spans lots of different issues, lots of different things that you need to consider and of course is very relevant to any of you that are looking to get solar power. But before we get into any of that, I want to address one or two of the comments which have been fairly prevalent in relation to the first video. May I first say, even before that, however, that I am very grateful to all of you that are so supportive in me sharing this very brutally honest story with you where I felt like I was almost scanned, at the very least misled by this company. So I'm going to deal with a few of those questions and comments first before we get into the real me. So first of all, one of the most frequent criticisms, I suppose, is that people couldn't believe that I fell for this sort of salesman type scam. So to address those all in one, what I will say is this. I didn't just click an advert, let them come, give them money and then almost get scammed. There was obviously a lot more to it than that. What I did say in the first video is that before they came, I didn't really know anything about solar systems, solar power systems. However, that doesn't mean I didn't research it, and it doesn't mean that I gave them money without researching it, or without knowing anything about it, or without knowing who the company was, or without knowing who the people were. There's a lot of details here that I'm going to reveal in this video that will sort of prove all of you wrong, really, even though I still felt like I was misled and I still withdrew from the contract. But there's a few important points that I'm going to bring up to rebut exactly that contention. So first of all, yes, I did click an advert from Instagram. Now, a lot of people have said that Instagram is a terrible place for adverts, which may be the case for a fair few of them, but actually lots of reputable businesses do advertise on Instagram. So I don't think it's a fair criticism of Instagram to say that all adverts on Instagram are bad or the same goes for any other platform like Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and wherever else people advertise. Genuine companies do advertise on all of those platforms. We've done it ourselves. We are a genuine company and so in my view it would be unfair and frankly inaccurate to say that all Instagram adverts are bad. So that aside, yes I did click an Instagram advert to get these two men to come out to me to do the survey on the house. And I say survey in inverted commas because it transpires more detail that will come out in this video so make sure you keep watching that I didn't include in the first video because I just didn't have time in the 33 something minutes that I spent in the first video detailing all of what happened. And so one thing I didn't say in the previous video which I'll explain now is that when I filled in this form on Instagram and I got a telephone call to arrange the survey to come to my house they obviously told me what the name of the company was. Now I'm not going to name the company because I don't think that is broadly fair or professional and it doesn't really add anything. Really what I hope to give you in these videos are all of the things to look out for so that you know whether or not you've been misled. But the point of it is this, they gave me the name of the company that was sending two guys out to measure up for these solar panels and then I researched the company. There are a number of ways of doing this, you can do it on Companies House, you can do it on Credit Check and if you have an account you can even do it with credit reference agencies to check the actual credit rating of the company. 
company if you want to deal with that company. I think they only really do it with businesses, but you'll have to check. But there are a number of ways of checking out the company, and these I did. And this was a national company with a good reputation. It's on Trustpilot, and it's got a good reputation on Trustpilot by all accounts. So this wasn't just any fly-by-night company. This was a national outfit with an otherwise good reputation. But there's another moral to this story as well, in that it's not necessarily the best idea to go with the biggest national company, where it might even be better to go with a much smaller company that doesn't really have any reputation at all, but know exactly what they're doing, care about what they're doing, and you can mitigate all of the risks involved in parting with your money along the way. And that indeed is one of the parts that I'm going to talk about in this very video. So as for the notion that the company itself is untrustworthy, consider that one debunked, but it doesn't mean that they didn't try to mislead me, which I maintain the view that they did, for various reasons and factual basis in my first video, which again is linked in the description below. So the second half, I suppose, of this criticism in that I did part with money by way of deposit based on what these chaps had told me, I would defend thusly. Some of the comments have suggested that I paid this deposit with no knowledge about the products or anything at all, which is fundamentally untrue. What happened was they gave me a very detailed presentation, albeit along with all the sales pitch. I could obviously see through the sales pitch because I said in my previous video that I was already thinking that this is part of the sales pitch, but I was still interested in the product and I still wanted the installation. What I was going to do, which I did do, was research the products that they were telling me that they were going to fit, see that they were suitable, and whilst one person criticised that they made a phone call to check that they had stock, this was still part of the representation. It was a representation of fact, i.e. they had these products in stock. And because they didn't have them in stock, that was a misrepresentation upon which I was entitled to rescind the contract because there had been a misrepresentation. This is under the Misrepresentation Act of 1967. Now, of course, many people are still going to argue that it was still dangerous that I was parting with money based on what they said and so on and so forth. But remember, I've already checked this company out. It was a large company with money in the bank. And if I needed to, I could have sued this company to get the money. And in my professional view for my own situation, I had absolutely zero doubt whatsoever that I would get the money back. Even though it might take a little bit of hassle, I would certainly get it back. And if it did come to that, then I probably would name them in a video. And in doing so, there would be justification in terms of a public interest, in that it would be in the public interest that other people know that I had to come to this position to be forced to sue a company to get that money back. This, as it happens, is one of the reasons that I haven't named the company, because they did ultimately just give me the money back. It did take a little bit of persuasion to get it back in the form that I wanted it, but I do believe they would have given it me back nonetheless. So now we've got to the point, I know what company it is. It's a national and fairly reputable company. I know that they've got money in the bank, so I can sue them if necessary. I know exactly what panels they are, and I've researched them, and they are good panels. The only details which were missing, which as it turns out are very important details, the follow-up videos were the details about the inverters and the batteries but I'm going to come back to those in a little while but the main point of it is this they didn't give me the specifications of the inverters and the batteries they only told me what brands they typically use but they did also say that before the installation goes ahead 
that they would give me all the specifications of the inverters and of the batteries. If you remember, it turns out they didn't give me those details, which formed one of the basis for me cancelling the contract, because they flat out ignored the question. So I think that's a long enough intro of covering off loose ends. Suffice to say, it wasn't just because I'm stupid that I agreed to enter this contract and pay them a deposit. I believe that it is far more intricate and far more detailed than that. Hence the videos to help prevent all of you from going through the same thing. Because if you rang up one of these companies directly even without having looked at an advert, you might well go through the whole same process and you might be just as convinced as I was that they will actually install the system. Now let's also not forget the fact that they probably would have installed the system, just that it probably wouldn't have been very good value for money, it would have taken longer than I'd have liked, there might have been problems with it, and it probably wouldn't have been as specified. But nonetheless, I do believe that I would have got a solar system out of these guys, just not really what I originally agreed to, or for the price that I paid, or value for money. Now speaking of detail, I've done something that I don't often do, and that is make some notes on a piece of paper. So lots of these things don't necessarily have any particular order, so I'm going to talk about each one of them and just ramble, as I often do, to give you some insight and some things that I've learned and some things to be aware of, particularly if you get guys out to sit and chat through it. You can pose these questions to them and just see what they say. Not the first on my list is no electricity bills versus reduced electricity bills. Now, some of these salesmen say that you will have no electricity bills once you've got this system installed. That is not quite true. That's only going to be true if you go completely off grid, meaning you disconnect yourself from the grid and you cannot use the grid at all. Which also means that you cannot sell electricity back to the grid, which is probably going to be somewhat beneficial if, for some of the day at least, you're producing more electricity than you're going to use and you want to sell it back to the grid at whatever the rates are with your supplier, which I'll come back to in a minute. So the only way you're going to eliminate your electricity bills completely is by going off grid. Otherwise, you will at the very least have your standing charge, whatever that standing charge is. For example, our standing charge is around about 50 pence per day. So even if you used absolutely zero electricity from the grid, which is unlikely, you're still going to pay a couple of hundred pounds a year just on standing charges alone. And when you're doing all of this to try to save money, a couple of hundred pounds a year is still something worth considering. Which reminds me of another point in the comments when somebody said, solar in the UK, seriously, question mark. Well, having had this installed now, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of to what's happened because we do generate quite a significant number of kilowatt hours throughout the day, particularly when it's sunny. So what's much more likely to happen is that you will rely on the grid at some point during the day at least, either when your electricity load and demand is high and perhaps your production of electricity from the solar panels is low, and that there is that overlap so the grid is going to kick in to feed your house and electricity needs as and when it needs it. The aim and the hope, of course, is that you will sell some back to the grid when these scales are tipped the other direction when you're not using very much but you're producing more than you obviously need and you can sell that back to the grid. So ideally these would balance out but remembering all the while whilst you are still connected to the grid you are going to pay the standing charge. Now this has a tangent to it because lots of people even I've seen one campaign just recently to make the utility companies pay these standing charges because 
Lots of people don't know what the standing charge is for. Essentially, you can think of it as a line rental for your utility connections. The standing charge is designed to pay for the upkeep of all the networks, to pipe the gas to your premises and to wire the electricity to your premises and the rest of the grid. Essentially, that's what the standing charge is supposed to pay and it's passed on to you, the end consumer. Moving neatly on to the cost to purchase per kilowatt hour of electricity versus the rate of selling units of kilowatt hours back to the grid. There is a significant discrepancy between these two because at the moment we are paying close to 30 pence per kilowatt hour whereas with the same supplier if we want to sell it back we can only sell it for around three pence now that doesn't seem quite fair to me if i'm selling to them they will only pay around three pence but if i'm buying from them they want around 30 pence some 10 times more now there is some discussion to be had here with regards to the battle of the forms as it's known in law where a big company have their set of terms and conditions and it's a take it or leave it scenario whereas you might not like those terms and conditions and you might want to impose your own. The typical result of that however is the big company tells you to go away and they refuse to contract with you and you're left to go find someone else only then to find that every other company is doing something broadly the same. Now whilst the Competition and Markets Authority is around to prevent price fixing and I hope that none of these companies ever do price fixing with regard to what they are prepared to sell and buy the electricity for, it does somewhat leave a rather sour taste in the mouth knowing that they will only pay literally a tenth for your electricity for what they are prepared to sell it to you for. But either way, these are all things that you need to check out because this might be one of the factors that you consider because you might have to move energy suppliers to make it overall more beneficial to you if your plan is to sell electricity back to the grid to hope to balance out the scales somewhat. Fitting neatly into that part of the story, you might also have to plan your usage throughout the day because not many plans at the moment have got different rates night and day, but if you are with a supplier that doesn't have a night and day scheme, you might want to move on to one that does. For example, many of them are cheaper at night. So this might also play into your decision as to whether to purchase a battery to store the power to use at night. Because if you don't benefit from cheaper electricity at night, you might well be better storing it during the day from the solar panel generations into the batteries so that you can use it at night so that you're not paying for grid electricity throughout the evening. Another thing on the issue of costs and installation costs, which I'm gonna come into now with a few extra bits and pieces that were probably left out of the previous video. The first up on that list is the VAT because here's the position at the moment with regard to VAT. If a company supplies and installs a solar power system to your house, it is zero rated for VAT. Ergo, it should be 20% cheaper than it would otherwise be to buy the equipment and pay for someone to install it yourself. However, what I have found in my personal experience, having sourced equipment and paid guys to come and fit it, the company that originally quoted me, in my view, based on the facts and the figures, have not really discounted it by the 20% at all. Whilst I'm sure that they've complied with their tax obligations and reported the zero VAT on the invoice, what they may well have done, if I'm being uncharitable, based again on the facts and the figures and the comparisons of what it actually cost to purchase the equipment and get it fitted elsewhere, one interpretation might well be, based on those facts and figures, with the insert of a little opinion here and there, 
is that they have indeed discounted the VAT, but before doing so, inflated their prices by roughly the same or even more. Suffice to say, and call me rather cynical, that I'm not entirely convinced that some of these companies that are zero rating the VAT on the supply and install of this equipment are actually doing so without having first inflated their prices to still charge whatever they would have charged in the first place. Now the difficulty here is of course if you purchase the equipment yourself and you source people yourself to fit the equipment you cannot really on paper claim back the VAT because it is not supplied and installed by the same people. However, as I said, on my calculations of buying the equipment and paying someone to install it, it is still markedly cheaper than the company that was quoting me in the first place. But as I said, one or two bits that are left out of the previous video that I'll tell you now is that I spoke to the original company regarding the scaffold that was put up at the house. I said to them, just leave the scaffolding up and I will use it and I will pay the scaffolding company. The response was, no, we will take it down. We use this company all the time. They've given us a preferential rate. We don't want you to use it, so we are going to tell them to come and take it down. This was simply another lie. What I learned directly from the scaffold company is that this company has never used them before, didn't actually pay them at all, just told them to come and take it down because we'd cancelled the order. Of course, the scaffolding company turned up to me to say what on earth is going on. So I said to them, well, I do need the scaffold up because I do plan for someone to come and install it when obviously I've sourced the equipment. So they were kind enough to leave the scaffolding up and I agreed to pay them. But obviously that was just another deception from the original company because they hadn't paid the scaffolding company when they told me they had. Not to mention the original contractors because they hadn't been paid either, despite the fact that they wouldn't have been able to install on the day that they were sent here from three or four hours away anyway because the rest of the equipment hadn't been sent such as the rails such as the inverters not to mention the batteries although I did understand those to be coming at a later date but either way the system would not have worked without the inverters being on site and the contractors would not have been able to install the solar panels without the rails being on site which they weren't all of these things by the way I'm going to explain in just a moment but as I say suffice to say the contractors were not paid by the original company but now looking at this from a rather pragmatic angle what were those contractors to do were they to threaten to sue the original company and guarantee that they'll never get any more work from them again or just suck up the fact that they've traveled three or four hours each way to not get paid for a job that was cancelled by me because i was misled by the original company and now just while i think of it one of the facts that i don't think i mentioned in my first video is that they hadn't delivered the correct number of panels either as i did mention they were not the correct make or model but they were not enough panels either because the contractors that turned up said that I wouldn't be able to get the number of panels that I'd ordered on my roof. Because of the physical size of the panels, I just wouldn't be able to physically get them on there. They were told, however, that this was the correct number of panels to fit on the roof, again, without anyone ever having told me that this schematic had changed in the meantime. So now, as promised, I'm going to give you a very broad breakdown of the things that you need to be looking at if you are interested in solar panels and point you towards someone from whom you can get very reliable, very knowledgeable and helpful guidance. So I don't for one moment profess to know quite as much about all of this as they do, but suffice to say these are the broad strokes you will need to research before you part with any money to install a solar panel on your roof. So this I suppose is now into part two of this video. The explanation, what do you need? Well first of all you don't need a four or five hour sales pitch. All you need is someone that knows what they're doing to measure your roof, 
to see how many panels you will be able to get on your roof. And that, of course, depends on the size of the panels. Many of them are the same size, and there are some fairly standard panels, and then a step up in quality, so it depends which panels you want and what you're willing to spend. But overall, the panels, individually at least, are by far the cheapest component in this whole system. Each panel should be no more than, say, £150 or so, per panel that is. Some panels are slightly cheaper, some panels are more expensive, but all you need is about half an hour or so, maybe an hour, for someone that knows what they're doing, and I will give you all the details at the end of the video, to measure up your roof to tell you how many panels you can get on the roof. Then, depending on the power of the panels, that's measured in watts, it will tell you how much power your roof is capable of generating through these panels. The average panels that I found are maybe 350 watts per panel, up to 400 watts or 410. Some of them, as in my original video, the ones that I was talking about, were 540 watt panels. That was the one aspect that the original company, at least, was telling me the truth about, in that they are very, very difficult to get hold of. But 540 watts does not mean they are a better panel. For the simple reason, they are much larger and you cannot get as many of them on your roof. So by using the 540 watt panels on the roof, it was not maximizing or would not have been maximizing the space available on my roof for the power that my roof was capable of generating. In fact, the most optimum panel to put on my roof, it turns out, was a 410 watt panel, which was just the right size to get as many panels on the roof as possible to maximize the amount of power produced. So that's stage one. How many panels can you get on the roof? And then once you've worked that out, how many panels do you want on your roof? Do you want to maximize it? Do you want to put the middle bit in so that you've got scope to add to it later if you want to, because that's always an option. You don't need to do it all at once. You can add on these panels as you go along. Yes, you might have to get scaffolding depending on your roof. Although if you've got a fairly shallow roof, again, this is a consideration, scaffold may not be necessary. Because in the case of some roofs, you won't need scaffolding. And the contractors can just get onto the roof and install it without. A little bit more dangerous, but they know what they're doing. Next, assuming that you now know how many panels you want and what they're going to cost. By the way, the guys that I'm going to introduce you to will not put any markup on these products. They are just selling the products to you directly from the supplier for what they pay for them. So you know that what you're paying is going going to be the best price you can. So now that you know how many panels you want and how many you can have, the next most important bit is the inverter because the sunlight comes in at DC, direct current energy, and the inverter converts it into a form AC, alternate current that you can use in your house because the energy that you use in your house and or send back to the grid is going to be AC power that your inverter is going to convert it into so that you can utilize the power from the sun through this inverter. Now, of course, there are many different manufacturers of inverters, some better than others. Tesla do their own, for example. You have Solar X, you have Solar Edge, there's Give Energy, and I'm sure half a dozen or even a dozen others. One thing that I did find, which I will just warn you about now, is when you look up these inverters by manufacturer, you will probably see lots of negative reviews about them online. Now, this is a symptom that I come across quite a lot with something that is fairly complex. For example, if you look up the reviews for YouTube online, let's say on Trustpilot, you will see out of, as I read it now, 4,758 reviews, 63% of those are one star. 
and yet here you are on YouTube getting free guidance from a practicing barrister about my real experience, all for free, just while you watch adverts, unless of course you pay for YouTube Premium, in which case you don't get those adverts before the videos. But either way, I think it'd be quite a difficult argument that YouTube is rubbish, according to these reviews. But my point is this, when you research the manufacturers of these inverters, invariably you're going to get a hefty section of one-star reviews. Most of all, I think, respectfully, most of those are because the people that are using them, i.e. the end users, don't fully understand how to use them because it's not really that developed yet. It is developing rather quickly, but I think it's still in its infancy, and a lot of the functions are quite difficult to navigate, quite difficult to understand. So my point is, really, don't be put off by negative reviews online, because these systems are very good overall, they are very stable, and the bottom line is they do work. They do convert the energy into a form that you can use. So with that out of the way, overall I think if you choose any one of the standard manufacturers or recommended by the guys that I'm going to put you in touch with, you'll probably be alright. So now perhaps you've chosen a manufacturer of inverter, it's now time to choose what power of inverter you want, because this is going to limit the amount of power that your house is going to be able to utilise from your solar panels. Put it very simply, if your roof is capable of generating 10 kilowatts, but your inverter is only 3 kilowatts, then there's an imbalance in the system. Your inverter is not going to be able to cope with the amount of power that your solar panels are going to be able to produce. Ergo, it stands to reason your inverter should at least very closely match the power output from your roof. So if you have panels on your roof capable of generating 10 kilowatts of power, your inverters should ideally be perhaps one 8 kilowatt inverter or two 5 kilowatt inverters, either way as close as you can get to the power output from your roof so that these inverters can utilize all of that power and convert it into usable energy. Two final things to mention about the panels and the inverters, I suppose, are the direction that your panels face, south being the best, but your installers will advise you on which direction if your house doesn't face south and secondly whether the inverters are going indoors or outdoors because I believe not all inverters can go outdoors but many of them now can and many of them are perfectly safe to have outdoors. The next decision that you have to make is whether or not you want to store power in the batteries. Now this again will depend how much power you use, how much you want to store, whether you are on an energy plan which is cheaper at night, in which case you may not need the batteries at night if you've got cheaper electricity at night, but if you haven't and it's the same price at night, you might well want to store the power. So you're using stored solar energy as opposed to paying your supplier for it. So now we come to the amount of energy these powers can store. Again, measured in kilowatt hours. So for example, you could get a three kilowatt battery, a five kilowatt battery, 8, 10, 11, 12, there are various different makes and models on the market. Very often you'll probably be advised to go with the same manufacturer for the inverter and the battery, although that is not essential. For example, you could use a Solax inverter with a Tesla Powerwall battery storage system. Or as in one of the demonstration example videos for SolarX, they use one of their own inverters 
inverters, but they use an LG battery to store the power. But Solar X does, of course, produce batteries that work very well with their own inverters. These come in the form of a master and a slave. Think of the slave as extra storage, just like a hard drive extra storage. If you've got two drives, your computer needs to know which one is the one to boot from and to use for all of the main software, and the other one is a slave, as in it's additional storage. It is serving the main drive. The same analogy is broadly true for batteries. You have a master battery and a slave battery. The same is true if you've got two inverters and each have their own battery system. The second inverter will be a slave inverter to the main inverter. In other words, the main inverter is the master and controlling the operation. And in doing so, controlling the power with the battery and the other inverter and its battery and juggling the system between the amount of power generated by your roof used by your house as against what's needed from the grid. As a very, very rough rule of thumb, a house of three people with average day-to-day -day use overnight is going to use something in the region of five or six kilowatt hours, depending on what they've got running, whether it's a couple of fridges, a couple of TVs, a few lights and a few other bits and pieces, I would probably guess around five or six kilowatt hours, at least from my experience and what I've read online. But again, your installer can discuss with you the size of your house, the needs for your house. You might only need a three kilowatt hour battery, or you might need very much more than that. But again, it depends not just on the size of your house, but your actual usage needs. Some people have a very large house, but don't actually use all that much electricity. One thing that the original company was actually telling me the truth about is that these batteries are very, very difficult to get hold of. For example, my installers and I rang probably 60 different companies around the UK supplying these batteries. If you want a Tesla wall battery, you're probably going to wait till the middle of next year, at least for the model we were looking at. And for even many of the other batteries, most suppliers are still waiting for the stock to come in on a ship from somewhere. But whilst you're in the mindset of installing things, another thing to bear in mind is if that you have an electric vehicle, you are probably clued up about this anyway, but in just in case you're not, you can have the option where the solar power is dedicated just to charge your electric vehicle and nothing else, no battery or anything else. Or you could even split the system so you've got some of the panels dedicated to charging the electric vehicle and the rest of the panels dedicated to the house. That brings me neatly into the default mode that most houses are going to need, which is referred to as self-use mode, which is the priority in which the energy is used stored and or sold back to the grid. So self-use mode, at least depending on the schedule for charging the batteries, which I'll come back to in a moment, is as follows. The priority is the energy that you use in your house. In other words, the energy coming from your solar panels is geared towards your house first. Secondly, any energy left over is going to charge your batteries, particularly if you don't have a cheap off-peak tariff in which case you will want to use a battery and therefore you'll want to store as much power in the batteries as possible to use at night. Charging the batteries will be the second priority after your house. If the energy from the sun is sufficient to power your house and charge your batteries, the remainder will then be sent back to the grid. Equally, if the batteries are charged, then the remainder after your house will be sent back to the grid. However, the reverse is also true. If the energy from the solar panels is not sufficient, you can set it so that the batteries will power your house first, and if that's not sufficient, to then draw from the grid. Or you can have a combination of all three. Solar panels first, topped up by the batteries and grid if necessary, if the instant power requirements are more than that combined between the solar panels and the batteries. All of this might sound very complicated, but most of it you don't actually have to set yourself, provided you've got the scheduling set up correctly, which I'll 
come back to as I said in just a moment. But most of this system does work very intelligently all by itself. It takes a few moments to switch over, but it will switch over in terms of priority so that it's making the best use of the solar power from the sun, the batteries, and of course, if necessary, drawing power from the grid, assuming you remain connected. Which if I didn't say so earlier, which I think I did, there is a termination fee if you want to disconnect yourself completely from the grid. But remember, you are then completely without power if the batteries are empty or just too low to be utilized and there's no power from the sun. So now, as promised, the guys that I've contracted to install my solar system, and I've been very happy with their work, they absolutely care about the work that they do. They came with a smile, they came with enthusiasm, they were full of knowledge, full of energy, and nothing was ever too much trouble. I wanted to move things around a little bit. I wanted to put things in a different place. I wanted it done a very specific way. They were always available on the phone. They were always very helpful. And as I said, they were helping to source the equipment for me so that I knew I was paying absolutely the best price possible. It also goes to prove that you don't necessarily go to the biggest national company to get this work done. This is a small company by two very enthusiastic guys running Sky Green Energy, which I will link in the description below. They also have a Facebook page showing real photographs of their work. And as I said, there's going to be part three, doubtless, to this series of videos. And I hope to get them on here to talk to you personally, because I, for one, have been very impressed with their enthusiasm, their knowledge, and their dedication to making sure that I was happy with the work that they did. So once again, I hope you found this video useful, entertaining, educational. And as I said, the guys at Sky Green Energy, linked in the description below, this is not in any way sponsored. There was no discount for mentioning their name they didn't even ask me to mention their name I'm simply telling you because in my experience they know what they're doing they come and they do it with enthusiasm and they will absolutely take care of you so in the meantime I'd be very grateful if you would like this video make sure you're subscribed look forward for part three because there is yet more to come because I still can't cram everything into even two videos but I hope you've enjoyed it thank you for watching and I'll see you next time